If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open with me this morning to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And just to get us started this morning, how many of you today uh, are bread lovers? How many bread lovers in the place today? Okay, so whether it be butter bread or cornbread or biscuits or garlic bread or breadsticks or bagels or, or pumpernickel, anybody? Okay. Maybe everything but pumpernickel. Um, you just can't go wrong with, with bread. Just the, the way I, I see things. And just to kind of put us where we are, last week we began a series that has us walking through eight I am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. No book in the Bible gives us a more sustained look at the glory of Jesus than this gospel. And during this series, my prayer for us, for myself, for us, is that we would behold the glory of God um, in the face of Christ. And that as we do so, our hearts would be forever transformed by what we see. That as we see Christ, as we hear him, our hearts would be transformed. And last week we began with... Um, the general, and I, I hate saying it that way, but the general yet glorious I am statement where Jesus declared before Abraham was, I am. And just unpack this picture of what he declared and what that meant and how that um, took the, the listeners back to Exodus chapter 3 and this picture of I am who I am. So this morning we're going to um, begin looking at what has been called then the seven I am statements in which Jesus used the personal name of God and then attached a different idea to it to kind of declare who he as the incarnate one is. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. So we're going to begin just walking through all of those things and the statement we're going to begin with this morning, um, I am the bread of life, cuts to the very heart of eternal life. It cuts to the heart of our own lives. As we're about to read in John 6, Jesus is having a conversation um, with a crowd of people who themselves are searching for life. They believe that they have found that life in, in Jesus. He's the young teacher. He's the young miracle worker. He is the young prophet. And if you were in the crowd that day, there were certain things about Jesus that you had either heard about or that you had even experienced firsthand. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we find Philip having an encounter with Jesus and Jesus saying to him, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Philip saying, oh Lord and my God. And Jesus, saying, Jesus said to him, you say I'm your God because I said I saw you under a fig tree. You'll see even greater things than, than this. And then you, as a crowd, you might, might have been in, in Cana at a wedding when Jesus turned water into wine, and he didn't just turn it into the cheap stuff, um, but the, the good stuff. Right after that, Jesus walked into the temple, made a whip, and he cleaned house. Um, so, so we think about this. Maybe you were a, a part of that. There was there was buzz, a buzz in the air. There was an, an excitement in the air concerning him. There was also a little bit of fear concerning who he was. Maybe you had heard about the conversation that Jesus had had with a woman at, at the well, um, how the town was buzzing because of that conversation. Maybe you had heard about the healing of 
the official's son, an official who walked around 15 to 20 miles from Capernaum to, to Cana to have a conversation with Jesus saying, please, my son is sick, come with me. And Jesus saying, go, your son is well, showing that Jesus, his, his word has power even from a distance to bring healing. You might have, if you were in that crowd, watched as a man who had been lame for 40, or excuse me, 38 years crawl into a pool of Bethesda, then have a conversation with Jesus, and then that same man um, come walking out of that pool, um, totally healed, life forever changed. Think about this. This crowd that we're looking at this morning had seen Jesus heal. They had heard Jesus teach. And when you get to John chapter 6, the chapter we're going to look at today, a couple things are are happening. This crowd has now grown to thousands. Some people believe that um, crowd was up about 20,000 on, on this day. They're listening to Jesus preach. So they had gotten up, they had eaten, or eaten breakfast, they had come to hear Jesus, and Jesus had preached straight through lunch. Um, he was now messing around with their dinner. Um, he gets done preaching. He looks at the disciples and says, um, where are we going to get, where, where are we going to eat? Where, where are they going to eat? And of course, um, Philip begins by saying, Lord, 200 denarii would not um, give us an opportunity to, to feed all of these. And then here comes Andrew with this little boy who has five loaves and two fish, what we call a, a Hebrew Happy Meal. And so he walks up with this little boy with a Hebrew Happy Meal and says, here we have him, but how far is that going to go? Basically what Andrew was saying is, Jesus, now might be a good time if you're hungry to take this little boy, to sneak around back, and you and him can enjoy a great um, dinner together, and everybody else can just figure it out on their own. But of course, what Jesus does is he defies logic. He makes everyone sit down. He, he prays. He multiplies the, the fish and the bread and fed everyone. In fact, 12 baskets full um, left over. And just think about that. The people, and let me just say this as nice as I can, the people freak out. As you can just imagine, um, people freaking out in, in that way. They're ready, according to John 6, to take Jesus by force and make him king i mean they're so amazed and moved by what they saw they're, they're thinking to themselves if he won't accept kingship we're gonna force him to accept kingship and just just think about this who wouldn't want that kind of king who wouldn't want the kind of king that can multiply bread multiply fish you'll never have a shortage of food if he's king why would you not want to name that guy your your king so what we have is a large amount of people ready to reorient their lives around Jesus, believing that they have found the one who would give them what they always wanted. Now the problem is what they always wanted was not necessarily what they, they needed. So the next day, and something happens between um, that time in the afternoon and the next day. In fact, Jesus sends his disciples over, Jesus stays, and then he walks across the sea um, not around the sea, he walks across the sea in order to get to the other side. And then the next day happens and they realize that Jesus isn't where he was. So they jump in boats and they, they go chasing after Jesus. They want to know where he is. They want to be where he is. And there's a clear reality that's happening in their lives, yet they refuse to see it and they even reject it when, when all was said and done. Uh, John Stott says these words. There's a hunger in the human heart that none but Christ can satisfy. 
There's a thirst that none but he can quench. So there's, a, there's a hunger, there's a thirst in our lives that only Jesus can satisfy. Yet, if you're not satisfied by it, you will try to be satisfied with everything else. And this is the picture that we are about to see. For at the end of this chapter, most of this crowd would walk away from Jesus never to follow him again. Which shows us that there is something in what we're about to read that is astonishing, that is dividing, that is humbling, life-giving, even there's something that in what we're about to read that even, is even repelling, that repels people from Jesus. So what is it? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to John 6 once again. I mean, if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read John 6 verses 25 through 35 together. And kind of dig in a little more here about where we're going in this picture of Jesus as the bread of life. But beginning at verse 25, it says this. When, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you, come before your Son. God, just rejoicing in you. Come, God, to your word, through your Holy Spirit, that we're able to know it, we're able to see it, we're able to, to understand it, God, and we... Just pray that today, Lord, you would work in our lives to show us this picture of Jesus, you as the bread of life that satisfies us, not just for a moment, but forever. God, show us that today. I pray, God, that you would uh, rip away um, things that are not eternally satisfying from our lives. And God, just help us, Lord, to focus on that which will not just satisfy us for a moment, God, help us to reorient our lives even today around that which will satisfy us forever. Oh, how we need you, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. Have you ever heard the expression, this is the best thing since sliced bread? Anybody heard? Maybe an old expression, but we have said it before. This is the best thing since sliced bread, which begs the question, what was the best thing before sliced bread? So if this is the best thing since, what was the best thing before? And the answer has to be Jesus. You know, it has to be. Uh, the best thing before sliced bread was Jesus. So the banner over our time this morning is that Jesus himself is the bread of life. 
I read this week that there are over a hundred different types of bread in our world. And those types of bread might help to sustain us physically, yet there is only one type of spiritual bread that gives us spiritual life, and his name is Jesus. And the questions for us this morning is this, do we desire this bread? Do we want this bread? As we have just heard the word of God, are we hungry for him? Here's a good question. Are we seeking the giver of bread or are we seeking just the gift? Are we satisfied with just the gift or do we want the giver? So let's unpack this morning three truths that relate to Jesus as the bread of life, the bread both now and and forever for us. So three truths. So the first truth is this. As the bread of life, Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. As the bread of life, Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. Look with me at verse 26. It says, uh, Jesus answered them. He's talking to them. He says, you're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. He basically calls out their motives. And then in verse 33, he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, speaking of himself, and gives life to the world. They said to him, give us this bread always, sir, give it to us always. And then Jesus said, look at me, I am the bread of of life. So this crowd, they follow Jesus, find him, and they come to him with questions. When did you get here? We didn't know you had left. Now that we have found you. And then Jesus doesn't even answer their question. Instead, he tackles their motives. And he looks at them and he says, you're only here because you want bread. You're only here because you think I'm your meal ticket. You're only here because you ate and were were full. And as the conversation continues, an Old Testament um, event gets mentioned. The crowd says, well, what sign then will you do for us? As if what he just did wasn't enough. Think about that. Jesus had just fed over around 20,000 people with five loaves and and two fish, and the question is, well, what sign will you do? Jesus had just walked across the water, and they say, what sign will you do? And basically what they point to is the wilderness and the manna, and what they say to him is this, well, Moses fed us for 40 years. You fed us for a day. What else will you do? Just think about that. Moses fed us for 40 years. You just provided for a day. We want a little more than that. We want a little, little more. And I love what Jesus says. Oh, you, you just think it was Moses who fed you. It was my Father in heaven who, who fed you. But just, just follow with me. So here, the Israelites, they're brought out of Egypt. They come to the reality very quickly that there is no one to give them food. So what does God do in his grace? God provides manna from heaven for them every day. Every day, except for the Sabbath, they would be sustained by food from heaven for 40 years. But here's what we often miss. Just follow with me. Don't miss this today. The whole point of God's provision of manna was not meant to um, satisfy the people. It was only meant to sustain them. Meaning, God had not brought them out of Egypt just to wander in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt to take them to a land that he had promised them. And when we think about this awesome reality of this little itty-bitty thing called manna, 
Sometimes we miss this. It was a honey-like wafer that was given to them every day, but as they ate it, it only sustained them until the next day. But here was the point. The point is this honey little wafer was supposed to remind them that God had prepared for them a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And so the reality for them is we don't, we're not going to be satisfied here in the wilderness because the wilderness is not our home. It's not our home. This is not our home. Therefore, we're not going not to pack up and just stay or, or, or unpack and stay here. This is not our home. But then fast forward a couple thousand years. And there are people who had prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would feed their, his people with, with bread. Yet in this moment, these people are not desiring the giver of the bread. All they want is the bread. In fact, think about this. All they desired is to fill their stomachs while their hearts remained empty. It was okay for them. As long as they had full stomachs, their hearts were empty, but it was okay. And in this moment, the conflict begins. This is where Jesus starts to expose certain things about their their heart, certain desires. And the first thing Jesus does is attack them at their, their need. Jesus comes to them. He begins to unpack this. And Jesus says, listen, your perceived need, what you think you need, is not really what you need. You think you need bread, and that's not really what you need. You're coming thinking, man, this guy will give us manna every day, but you forget or you're missing what I really want to give you. You're missing it. In the Greek, and I don't want to get too far here, but in the Greek there were um, different meanings or different ways to express the word life. One Greek word for life was, is bios. Greek word bios, and it means physical life. It means um, life that we have, material life. In Luke 8, um, Luke is telling us of a woman who for 12 years had an issue of blood. And and Luke says that she had spent her bios um, on doctor after doctor after doctor trying to be well, and she was not well. So she had spent her material life. She had given away her financial life. She had given away her, her ability to sustain herself, had given it away trying to be Healed. And then the, the other Greek word for life is the Greek word zoe. It means not material life, not physical life. It means eternal life. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 6, 4, when Paul makes this amazing declaration that you have been buried with Christ and you have been raised to walk in newness of life or newness of zoe. You've, you've been raised to walk this. And let me, let me add this. Every single person in this room knows that there is a difference between existing and really living. We know there's a difference. There's a huge difference between just existing and then really living. If we live forever without hope and without purpose, we're miserable. We're miserable. So when the Bible talks about eternal life, the Bible is not just talking about existing forever. So don't think that eternal life just means existing forever because let me, let me just throw this on you. Did you know that existing forever is actually also a description of hell? In hell, you will exist forever just apart from God. So therefore, eternal life is not just existing forever because you will do that, people will do that um, in, in hell. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we just seeking eternal existence or are we seeking eternal life? Our deepest desire placed in us by our creator, by God him, himself, is not just 
get to heaven. Our deepest desire placed in us by God himself is this, know God now and know him forever. That's the deepest desire placed in us by our God is we get to know him now and we will know him forever and ever and ever. So when, when John is writing here, he has these two words to choose from when it comes to life. And so what he does is he uses the same words that Jesus used. Jesus is looking at these people who want physical food. They want their physical needs met. And Jesus says to them, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives zoe to this world. So Jesus uses that word for eternal life. This is the picture he unpacks over and over and over again. In other words, don't miss this. Jesus looks at the people and he says, you're just focused on your physical hunger. In fact, you have a, a thirst that descends physical thirst or, or, or that transcends physical thirst. You have a hunger that transcends physical hunger. Jesus says to them, you have a spiritual need that you are trying to meet with physical solutions. You have a spiritual need that you're trying to meet with physical solutions and you are going to fail. Now let me, let me say this. We were created by God with needs. You look at Genesis chapter 2. God gives two needs that man was created with in Genesis 2. Food. So God tells man, I've given you of, of the trees to eat except for one. And then companionship. God says it's not good that man should be alone. I will make you a suitable helpmate. Sometimes we think that God made man with no needs whatsoever. And that needs had to have come because of sin. But that's not true. Before sin ever entered the, the, the world, God told man, you're going to be hungry. I'm going to feed you. You have a need for companionship. I'm going to give that to you. So this is the picture of God showing us our needs. And then God himself showing us that he is the one who is going to fulfill our needs. So our needs, get this, were meant not to make us run from God and say, I've got to meet these myself or ourselves. Our need was made to make us come to God and say, you're the one who made me with these needs. And therefore, you're the one who's going to fulfill these needs. This is the picture of how God made us. And let me say this. There are some false preachers today who will tell people that if you come to God, you will get abundant stuff. So you come to God and you get a Mercedes. You come to God and you get a million dollar house. You come to God and you, and here's, and this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. I hate it because the picture of this gospel is this. We come to God and we get God. We don't get stuff. We get God. God doesn't say, you come to me and I'll give you everything that won't last. No, God says, you come to me and I'll give you what will last forever. I'll give you myself. And it will be enough to sustain you both now and forever. Ever. God is not a means to an end. God is the end. He is what we get. And we get him now. And we get him always. Therefore, our souls long for that. He doesn't just give us the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And he, as the bread of life, fulfills our deepest desires. So Jesus, as the bread of life, fulfills our deepest desires. But then secondly, Jesus, as the bread of life, transforms our deceptive beliefs. He transforms our deceptive beliefs. There is an issue that this crowd is facing and that we face as well. Because we are sinful, 
all of us in this room, because we are sinful, we are prone to desire the world more than we desire God. Because we're sinful, we're prone to seek after the material way more than we seek after the spiritual. In fact, because we are sinful, we are way more likely to believe as the world believes. And how does the world believe? The world believes that you can earn your way to God. In fact, think about this. It says in verses 28 and 29, They said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Show us. Just tell us what we've got to do. And Jesus said, This is the work of God. Believe in him who he has sent. And then in verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And from the very beginning of existence, man has tried to approach God on man's terms. The crowd asked Jesus, what do we need to do? Tell us what we have to do. Tell us what work must be done. And Jesus says, believe. Believe in me. That's the work. Believe in me. Just think about this. Here in the presence of Christ, this crowd wants to use Christ, but they also want to bypass Christ. If Christ will give them all that they want, they want him. If Christ says, I'm the only way, they don't want him. They want to bypass that. Why? Because it takes things away from them. It takes the works out of their hands. Yet when we truly behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, he not only transforms our desires, he transforms our belief system. When we see him, we, we realize in his presence, we realize that he is and we're not. We realize that he is and we are not. And we realize that we must respond to him in that way. I read a story this week of a missionary who many, many years ago um, was ministering in a desert area. And one of the ways that he would serve and love the people that he was called to minister to is he would go into a city, he would take um, a wagon, and he would fill this wagon up with, with water, as much water as he could carry. Then he would go to one village and give them water so they would be sustained. And then another village he would go um, and give them water so they would be sustained. And he would go and, and just continually keep this water coming. So there was a certain day that um, this man went to the city, filled his um, wagon up with as much water as he could carry, and he went to the first village and so the second village was waiting they were waiting for him to come they waited one day they waited two days he didn't show up so finally they went looking for him and here's what they found they found him in his wagon dead of thirst surrounded by a wagon of water and he himself had died of a thirst just think about this reality all he needed to stay alive was right there in front of him and he did not drink. And please hear me this morning. If we are only after the benefits of Christ, but we are not after the Christ of Christianity, then we'll be that guy. We'll be that guy. If Christ is not our satisfaction, then we will find ourselves at some point in our lives in the desert, all by ourselves, and we won't make it. If that's, if that's it, if, if we don't want this Christ, we will one day find ourselves in the desert and we will not make it. So the question is, how, how are our belief system, how does our belief system become transformed? And I love the fact that in this 
In this section, Jesus answers that question for us. Look at verse 37. In verse 37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. So how do we transform our belief system? We come to Jesus. Jesus says, if you're weak and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. And then look at verse 40. Jesus goes on to say this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son... So Jesus says, not just come to me, behold me. Look with scrutiny upon me. Look and see who I am. I am the bread of life. And then Jesus says, and believes in him should have eternal life. So Jesus says, not, don't just look on me. Come, behold me, and believe in me. Believe he is who he claimed to be. The eternal one, the preexistent one, the saving one. One, have we truly come to Christ on his terms? Let me ask you this question. Have you turned away from trusting in yourself? Realizing that there, there's no work for us to do. Christ has done the work. We believe in him. We look to him. We trust in him. Jesus transforms our deceptive beliefs. Jesus doesn't say go and do all you can for as long as you can. Jesus says, believe in me. Believe in me. I'm enough. Believe in me. So Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. He transforms our deceptive beliefs. And then lastly, Jesus guarantees our eternal enjoyment. He guarantees, not, not just says, I hope it's going to happen. He guarantees the fact that we will be um, receiving enjoyment forever and ever and ever. Think about verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never, ever thirst. Jesus said these words, and then hear me. 31 verses later, the crowd leaves Jesus never to follow him again. What in the world happened? What in the world happened? Jesus looks at them and says, come to me. Come to me, and you'll not hunger. Believe in me, you'll never thirst. And a few words later, they're gone. What happened? And here's the answer. Verses like verse 51 through 54 happened. Look with me here. Verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And granted, I know that man put the numbers and the verses in the Bible, but there is something significant about the fact that the only time in the New Testament you see chapter 6, verse 66, so 666, is you read these words, they walked away. Walked away from Jesus. But think about this. Think about this reality. It surprised me this week in studying that I realized when this conversation took place. 
For most of the Gospel of John took place in the third year of Jesus' ministry, meaning that this crowd had walked, had witnessed, had heard Jesus for almost two years going on a third year. So after two years going on a third year was when they decided they no longer wanted to follow him. And Jesus said these words, um, and, and I'm, I'm surprised there was not a riot here, because in the book of Leviticus, God had condemned and said, you shall not drink blood. So I'm surprised that the Jews did not riot in this moment. So here's the question. Was Jesus asking them to do what God had already forbidden them to do? Was Jesus coming on the scene saying, hey guys, I'm a new form of religion. We're going to be half cannibalistic and half vampire. So we're going to eat people's flesh and we're going to drink blood. Follow me. You know, I mean, just think about that. I mean, I'm thinking to myself as I'm, as I'm studying this, and maybe this is just the mind of Micah. I mean, there's got to be somebody in that crowd going, is he like literal? I mean, like somebody walks up to Jesus and like bites his arm just to see, you know, is, is he being literal here? What's he telling us? We just don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. Uh, we don't understand this whole eating flesh and drinking blood thing. This is a little more than, than we can, can handle. And the question becomes, of course, Jesus wasn't telling them to do something that God had forbidden. What Jesus is saying is this, you have to accept me for who I am. And you have to know that the death I'm about to die is for you. You have to accept me for who I am. And you have to know that the death I'm about to die is for you. And the crowd walked away. They left. They left. And look what happens. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Think about that. These disciples who had followed Jesus, the crowd that was with them, surrounding them, the crowd that was, was teeming with life over what Jesus had done, they walked away. So Jesus looks at them and says, you want to follow them? They're gone. Do you want to go with them too? And then look at verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love what Peter says there. Lord, where are we going to go? We've already given up our businesses. We've already turned our back on the world. Where else can we go? But here's my fear this morning. My fear is that there might be some in this room that will look at our hands and we'll open our hands up to only see temporary things that we are holding on to. And we'll look at Jesus, and we'll look back at our hands. We'll look at Jesus, we'll look back at our hands, and then we'll close our hands with these temporary things that we think we have to have for this life, and we'll walk away from Jesus. And you might say, well, that's impossible. No, we see in John 6, it's quite possible. In fact, the crowd, the multitude, the, the um, great crowd walked away from, from him. And let me just say this. Let me tell you why it's Jesus and only Jesus. Trusting in other breads will break you. Jesus is the only bread that was broken for you. He's the only bread that's broken for you. In fact, Jesus found us starving to death filling our stomachs with bread only to be hungry again, drinking only to be thirsty again. Jesus found us in that way, and he pointed us to himself, 
And then he went to the cross and his body was broken for us. In the words of Peter, he alone has the words of eternal life. And his words tell us, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. This is the one that we are to follow. There is no life outside of him. If your bread in this moment is anything other than Christ, I'm going to tell you in a spiritual standpoint and in a physical standpoint, if your bread is anything other than Christ, you open your hands and you let go of it. You let go of it, for it will not sustain you. It will not satisfy you. And even worse, it will not save you. And with those hands, those spiritual hands and physical hands, you grab a hold of Christ. Grab a hold of him for who he is. I'm going to show you a prayer um, on, on, this, on the screen. It's a prayer prayed by A.W. Tozer. I thought it was an amazing prayer, kind of a great way for us to end this. If this is you this morning, I think this, is, this was me during this week. I pray that this will be you today. Listen, listen to what he prays. He says, oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. And begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Oh, that our words would be this morning, God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with you. I thirst to be made more thirsty for you. Show me your glory. I love this. Jesus doesn't come to his disciples and say, you better not leave me. Jesus comes to his disciples and say and said, do you want to leave me? Do you want to go away too? Maybe for some of us that's what he's saying this morning. He's saying, you have watched people walk away from me. Do you want to leave too? Or do you understand? Have you come to the realization of who I am? That I am the Holy One of God, that I am your satisfaction both now and forever, that I am your bread, that I am your drink, that I am your everything. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you want it? Do you know it? Oh, that today, I this was didn't think this would be as hard of a message to prepare for as it was. It was so difficult because I started diving into these words going, these words are tough. Tough. But these words are good because what these words do is strip down and strip away anything else that we might trust in that cannot satisfy and points us directly to what will satisfy us forever. May we not miss it, I pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward as we enter into a time of invitation. And my statement this morning to you is if you are here without Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. Today would be the day that you 
Turn away from trusting in yourself. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and trust him as Savior and Lord. Maybe if you're here today and you are a believer, but yet you have once again filled your hands with temporary things and have somehow, someway lost the value of Christ, that today would be a day that you would just see his beauty and that you would see his value and that you would see his sustaining nature once again. Father, we come before you. We thank you that you are the only Savior, God. Jesus, you're the only Savior of sinners in the world. Jesus, you are the bread of life, and in you we will never hunger. We will not thirst. But we want to, in faith, God, we want to take you in. We want to believe who you are. Lean all of our lives upon Jesus. We don't want to trust in ourselves. We don't want to think that there's something that we can do to earn this. We want to look away from ourselves and we want our eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for that person maybe in this room or that will be in this room that has never done that, that today would be the day of salvation for them. But also, God, with the same fervency, the same passion, I pray for believers all across this room that, God, that maybe, just maybe, have stopped hungering and thirsting for you. That today, God, through this, your word, that you would, God, just reawaken that hunger and that passion and that thirst in them for you. That you would help them, God, in this moment to open their hands and to release a Um, any temporary things that will not satisfy. And Lord, instead, God, to open our hands to, to you, the one who has your hands open to us, waiting for us to return to you. God, finish this time, we pray, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.